0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Horse Sense Street Smart Investing, the podcast. I'm Ron Corning and Eric Marshall's joining us along with Craig Hodges today. And we are talking inflation. Thank you both for being here. As always, we're going to start with some basics, and that is what is inflation. And then I want to share some thoughts with you as well. Eric, describe it if you can in, I don't know, a sentence or two.
1: Well, I I think the simplest way to describe inflation is when you basically have more money chasing goods and services than what is available. Mm -hmm. And that causes prices to go up and it erodes the purchasing power of the money that we
0: have to spend. So Craig, when I hear that, too much money chasing too few goods, I think to myself, that sounds like prosperity, right? Is, 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 Is that not what Inflation is the result of it is, and it's that fine line. You know,
2: we want kind of that two percent, maybe a little above that, because we want the economy to grow. But it's like I said, it's a fine line, and we're we're talking eight, nine percent inflation. If you know, there's just less and less you can buy on a yearly basis. So,
0: so when, you, so what you mean by that is the higher inflation goes, that money then can buy fewer products. So the economy just sort of doesn't, doesn't grow and expand. People, in most cases, people
2: live to their budgets, right? Mm -hmm. And they live to their means. And when all of a sudden it costs 10% more to live, it puts, it puts the everyday average person in a really bad situation. And we've had, you know, just a handful of really inflationary times here in this in this country. Mm-hmm. You, you do read about all over the world where f- inflation can be incredibly difficult. But you know, in the scheme of things, the U.S. has always done a pretty good job with inflation. Um, and you know, it's it's a difficult situation, and there's not it's not an easy fix. But you you'd rather have. Uh, you know, some economic slowdown to control inflation
0: than the opposite. So so I want to just get this clear. When I, when I think about inflation, we know that it affects people differently. If you're already among those people having a difficult time making ends meet, all of a sudden you find yourself food insecure. We've seen that in North Texas with the North Texas Food Bank, because now food costs are up and you can't afford to buy what you need for your family. For more affluent people, it means that maybe you're not buying that new car you wanted to buy, or maybe you're taking one trip in the summer and not two. It's hard to feel bad when someone's budget is restricted in that way. It's easier, of course, to understand and feel for those people who are are struggling under inflation. Where are we in terms of, of that? Because what I keep hearing is, people keep spending more to get what they want. So where does that begin to take its toll and how does it take its toll when they can't afford what they want anymore, Eric?
1: Well, I think what it does is it allow, it forces people to be more uh, efficient with how they allocate their resources. So they buy what they need and eventually high inflation cures high inflation because you do get demand destruction. And that's why as investors, what we really need to do is look for areas of productivity, because that's what fights inflation. Productivity will eventually uh, tame inflation. And the best way for investors to preserve their capital is really to be invested in assets that can benefit from inflation, that have the ability to inflate with inflation in terms of the underlying assets or the earnings power of those businesses. So whether you're a business or an individual, focusing on efficiency and productivity is really the way to tame inflation.
0: Is that just another way of you saying you just need to spend your money more wisely in the short term? Well, essentially, that that is
1: part of it. Um, and when the Fed raises interest rates to slow the economy, they're, in a sense, really forcing capital to the areas where it gets the highest return in our economy, which then eventually will drive productivity and will eventually tame inflation, just like it did in the 70s and 80s. So connect those dots
0: for me, though, because if they raise the interest rates, Craig, that means that companies are going are not going to be incentivized to borrow money to grow their business. Right? Right. So, so that's gonna that's gonna leave them sort of, um, what's the word? I don't know. Stagnant. Well, you look
2: at the the main effect, and the easiest example is probably um, mortgage rates. Okay. You know, here you, we've had a booming housing market for years and years, and in about a three or four month time period, maybe six months, you had rates go from three percent to well in excess of six percent. That is a drastic. So so basically, what that tells me is and everyone out there is that buying a house and your house is now I don't know 20 30% more expensive just on that part alone. Mm-hmm. That is a dramatic increase. And so that's kind of the easiest way to understand. Like Eric said, demand will or or the cure for inflation is
0: inflation. Uh, so basically what you're saying is interest rates go up and then that kicks buyers out of the market for right. the time being. So then in the meantime, housing surpluses can kind of increase as sellers who inevitably, for one reason or another, regardless of how the economy is doing, have to sell, right? And they say, we have to sell now. That inventory increases and there are fewer buyers to go for it. Right. And uh, and also the fact
2: that, that, that rates, uh, you know, at 7%, there's not a whole lot of people originating mor- mortgages of that number. Mm-hmm. So the market eventually goes down to find an equilibrium where- where people are coming in again and, and doing that and, and, and originating mortgage. But
0: I, I wonder if there's an argument to be made here based on what I've, I've seen and heard and how people are responding, at least in, in the circle of people that I um, associate with, there seems to be this new way of thinking about these high interest rates, which may not have the same effect as maybe it would have X number of years ago. And that is, this is still a great time to buy a house because prices have come down a little bit. And yes, you'll spend a little more on the mortgage in the meantime, but you're dating the rate and you're marrying the house. So get the house now and refinance later. And I think that's kept more buyers in circulation, at least in this market, than maybe it would have in years past. Just a different way of looking at it. And that does sound, Eric, on the surface like a smart money decision, but it's certainly not gonna go the distance if 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 everyone thinks that way too. Curb inflation, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think your housing example, Ron, is probably one of the the easiest examples because it's the area of the economy that is the quickest to react to higher interest rates. Right, um, but but essentially, at the end of the day, there is demand for housing, and there's more demand for housing than there is supply for housing. So people still need houses. We're, you know, creating something like a million and a half new household formations a year, and we're not building that number of housing. So people really have to probably set expectations. People still buy a house, but they may buy a smaller house to match their affordability in a higher interest rate environment.
0: How much higher... Are these interest rates going to go to curb inflation, and why is it so tough this time around compared to um, other periods of time that were similar?
2: It's it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing because part of the problem, part of the reason inflation exists, is because we have a very successful economy. We have full employment. There are more jobs than there are people looking for jobs. Uh, pay has gone up. That's a good thing. There's a lot of good things in this, but we're seeing the bad part of it in the fact that it, it's there's an
0: excess of it. When I hear things like the Fed would really like to see the unemployment rate go up, yeah. When I hear that, I think you want people to not be working. Yeah, it's kind of twisted. It's kind I of. I don't. Yeah. It just it's it doesn't sit well with me. I'm like, okay, so let me understand this. You'll create an environment. Where companies can't continue to employ people, so more people will be laid off and struggling and spending less money, and that will bring inflation down and the markets will stabilize. And I, and I wonder if there's some part of that where we look at it and say, is that the price that we pay as a culture or a I society think- in order to keep the markets and and, and companies whole? I, I don't know. The I think people- it's a, it's the lesser of two evils, really. It's it, the, the Fed has to make a
2: choice. Do they want inflation to get out of hand, where all of a sudden people can't eat, and it's it becomes such a bad thing for the majority of of people, where you know you have a severe problem with people being afford food and mm-hmm. shelter and energy, or do we have a little blip in unemployment going from three to five, and you know that's still painful, but which which is worse. And I think the Fed is saying that, that at full employment we can we can have some shuffling of jobs and some temporary where the where where
0: where we, unemployment rate goes up. Which totally makes sense when you're looking at a spreadsheet and a chart, right? But when you think about the people who <laughs> will struggle for even if it's a matter of months, I mean, the anxiety that is born out of unemployment and not knowing where the next job is coming from and so forth, you know, that's difficult. So I just, I have a difficult time squaring those things, although I know that's the reality of it and I know that's how economically um, this whole thing plays out. Where do you see it going come 20, well, I should say the spring, the summer? Is history our guide here in terms of what 2023 will look like moving forward? uh post-inflation, will it mimic what we've seen in the past, and and what does that look like, Eric? Well, uh, the reality is we really don't know what it looks like, and we don't know the
1: absolute terminal rate for where interest rates peak out, and we don't know uh, a lot of the variables that are driving inflation right now. What uh, you know, a lot of it has to do also with uh, things like globalization, like the strength of the dollar versus foreign currencies and the, the role that that plays in the import side of our economy, increasing the price of goods and services that, that we uh, we import. Also, demographics are at play here. You talk about the unemployment rate being down right now. Well, we have a huge subset of baby boomers that are starting to retire, and mm-hmm. they're retiring, and you're taking some of the most productive, trained, experienced people out of our labor force and it takes time to train up um, people to take their place, and just from a demographic standpoint, that can take some time. So, you know, really, in the we don't the reality is we don't know. But what we have to think about as investors is how do we protect our purchasing power and invest in things like technology and productivity mm-hmm. that can help offset. Those inflationary factors out there,
0: so there there will be sectors and businesses that are going to grow as a result of these inflationary pressures,
1: right? A- a- absolutely, there's there's always opportunities, and it, what what I would say uh, if you think I, right now, I would probably in an, if you tell me inflation's going to remain higher for longer, I would um, uh, rather own rocks versus paper. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about companies with hard assets, material companies, industrial companies, um, those type of things should do well in an inflationary environment because the barriers to entry to property, plant and equipment are much greater than companies that um, have a lot of intellectual property. IP as their main assets. Those things do not inflate as much in a inflationary parts of the economy. So it really favors companies that are in manufacturing and things like that versus the service side of the economy.
0: Yeah. and, And what you're saying is basically what you do on a daily basis to track economic conditions and look at sectors and companies that are doing well. So you can change out portfolios and adjust people's investments and your clients' investments accordingly so they don't find themselves being dragged down in the long term on those retirement accounts and, and and the futures maybe that they've planned for themselves as conditions have changed. Craig, let me ask you this. There are some conditions that seem specific to the era in which we live that we don't really know how everything will play out together. In other words, history can be our guide to a certain point, but there are still some question marks here. Are there not? Yeah, and, and I think that's part of the problem in the market as
2: we speak is confidence isn't there. There's so many people talking about a recession. I would say eight out of 10 pundits on the, net, on the business networks think that we're in for a big recession. And it's somewhat self-fulfilling when you talk it down, talk it down, talk it down. Mm-hmm. But... We've been through many, many, many of these cycles, and we've studied all the recessions that have ever existed. And, and typically, a recession will knock 20 to 30 percent, depending on how severe the recession is, out of the market. And it's a it, you know, the market anticipates that by six to nine months. Well, if we're going through a recession, you know, here in the next two quarters then the, the sell-off that you've seen here in the summer and the fall is basically that time anticipating mm-hmm. the recession that's coming. So we may have already seen the worst of it, even though it's not gonna probably turn around quickly in the economy, the market could be getting close to its lows. And that's our job is to find the companies that are gonna lead us out of that. And we've, we've, we've seen this movie, we, we know how it ends.
0: Well, I will say this, and, and one last note as it relates to history, The number of pundits who are now available through all these social media channels, all the cable news channels, TikTok, Instagram, I mean, you name it, online, far greater than there used to be. And so I think we see sometimes um, high confidence on the extreme, low confidence on the extreme, because we're being fed so much from so many people, where it used to be one analyst per broadcast network. If,
2: if you only had one invest, investing philosophy, and that is to invest when times look bad or invest when times look great, mm-hmm. you will always do better if you invest when times look bad. Mm-hmm. You, the market goes against human nature. When it looks the best, everyone has already made their bet. Everyone has already bought the stock. That's peaking. When it looks the worst, everyone has sold there's not anybody looking. And it's, so it's a, it's very uh, contrarian in nature, but that would work as well as any philosophy I know of. And
0: you know? I would say if you have a really good financial advisor, you can cut out some of that noise because you can get your information from the team that you trust, which I know many of your clients have said that. It's like, I don't have to listen to the noise because I have conversations with the people I trust at at Hodges, really. I mean, again, I always say not a shameless plug, but that's, that's just really the truth. If you boil it down and, and trust those who are closest to what's happening, as opposed to all the noise that's out there, you're going to be better off in the long run, I would think.
2: And we've got the history, you know, even going back to my father, who started in the business in 1960, I grew up hearing about the bad markets and, and, you know, when was the optimal time to invest? And then we've all been through the internet craziness and Mm -hmm. how that was the absolute peak. And so Uh, having the experience, if you do have a financial advisor, make sure they've been through uh, a lot of the cycles. They say nowadays that that the average financial advisor has been in the business eight years. Well, do the math. That only takes you back to what, 2000? 14, 2013. Mm-hmm. Well, there wasn't even that. That wasn't even the last financial crisis. So that's right. So y- there needs to be somebody that's been been through it all and has experience, you know, dealing with these. If things. they
0: didn't experience two thousand eight, don't hire them. <laughs> Probably not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that that that's a good point. That by the time the recession becomes very obvious out there, markets have already reacted to it. So mm-hmm. if you avoid investing because you're worried about the the current coming recession. I think if we do have a recession in 2023, it'll probably be the most predicted recession uh, in, In at least in in the last 40 years, which probably means it won't be as deep of a recession as other recessions, Mm -hmm. because people have had a year to prepare for this. And they've already baked it in, right? It's sort of baked in there. Yeah, yeah, if you think about the, even if the economy is only growing at 1% or 2%, but inflation's been running at 8%, you've kind of already been in a recession. Your real economic growth is actually 6% less Mm -hmm. than what our... Uh, economy has been expanding by. So there, you know, there's less to fear in a, in a slowdown as long as inflation's coming down along with it.
0: Well, there's some optimism in that. And I think that's a good way to end things here, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Eric Marshall from Hodges, as well, along with Craig Hodges of Hodges Capital Management. I'm Ron Corning with Horset Street Smart Investing, the podcast. And we'll see you next time. To learn more about the topics we covered in this episode, visit HodgesPrivateClient.com. Continue the conversation on our Facebook page. Listen and download this episode and previous episodes on Apple Podcasts and on all other podcast platforms.
3: Hodges Capital Management Incorporated, HCM, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hodges Capital Holdings and serves as investment advisor to the Hodges Funds. HCM is affiliated with First Dallas Securities Incorporated, a broker, dealer, and investment advisor registered with the SEC. This discussion is not intended to be a forecast of future events and should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk. Principal loss is possible. Investing in smaller companies involves additional risk, such as limited liquidity and greater volatility. No current or prospective client should assume that information referenced in this communication is a recommendation to buy or sell any security or is a substitute for personalized investment advice from your individual advisor. HCM does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your tax or legal advisor for any related questions. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable and is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. This material was created for informational purposes only. And the opinions expressed are solely those of HCM. HCM shall not in any way be liable for claims and makes no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and are subject to change without notice.